0: for this morning, which can be found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Again, that's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And if you do not have a copy of the scriptures with you, we have some located under the pews, and the page number for that passage is 1,267. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses three through seven. And as I read, please pay attention to the words, remember and remind. It reads, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled up with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control.
1: Thank you, Pastor Cruz, and thank you to everyone who participated in our service so far this morning. Memories are important. Pleasant memories can bring about comfort and a sense of well-being. Memories provide a haven in the midst of life's storms and difficulties that we encounter. They are a refuge for the mind to which we can resort to get away from the thoughts and concerns that otherwise plague us. Sometimes, unfortunately, we have mixed memories. That is, memories that are painful and filled with misery. Not everyone has an ideal childhood. Perhaps there have been circumstances or events that have brought you a great deal of pain or anguish or, or suffering. And certainly you don't want to reflect or think upon those things. In fact, you wish that you could forget them entirely. But this morning, my focus is going to be on good memories. Memories that are pleasant. Memories that bring joy and delight. Memories for which we give thanks unto God as we reflect upon his goodness and grace in our lives. This morning we're going to consider the Apostle Paul who was in very difficult circumstances. He was in prison. He was in chains. He was alone and he was facing the death penalty. However, one course of escape that Paul had from his sufferings was the memories that he had. Good memories. Memories that centered upon his beloved son in the Lord uh, Timothy. And so this morning we look at this second chapter, excuse me, this first chapter of 2 Timothy in which Paul shares his memories with Timothy. And as Pastor Cruz pointed out, the operative word for this morning is the word remember or remind. In verse three it says, Remem- I remember you constantly. Verse four is I remember your tears. Verse five, I reminded of your sincere faith. And then in verse six, I remind you to fan and to flame the gift of God. So we wanna look at these words of remembrance this morning as Paul shares them with Timothy. First, Paul shares with Timothy that Paul has habitually remembers Timothy. Timothy is out of sight, not out of mind. Timothy is not forgotten by any means. It tells us in verse 3 of 2 Timothy 1, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. And then these words, as I remember you constantly, as I remember you constantly, those whom we love are on our hearts and minds habitually. That's just the way it is. We think about those that we love, and Paul is no exception. It tells us in verse three that Timothy is his beloved child in the Lord. We talked about that in terms of being an apprentice, a son that is learning the ropes, as it were, to take over the responsibilities of Paul but he tells us that he is beloved. And those constant thoughts that that Paul has motivates him and moves him to pray. And so should our thoughts of our loved ones move us and motivate us to pray as well. For it tells us in verse three, as I remember you constantly in my prayers. As he prays, Paul gives thanks to God for Timothy. 1-3, I thank God whom I serve and it is only fitting that god be thanked for god brought timothy into paul's life god had wrought the things in timothy's life for which paul is grateful so paul offers those prayers all hours of night and day at the end of verse 3 i pray for you constantly in my pr- i remember you constantly in my prayers night and day Just as Timothy is in Paul's thoughts night and day, so too Timothy is in Paul's prayers night and day. We can just visualize the Apostle Paul in a prison, in chains, cold, shivering, anticipating death. We can just imagine the restlessness, the sleeplessness. The lying there thinking. And as he thinks, and as his mind races, his mind is taken to Timothy. And as he thinks about Timothy, he gives thanks unto God. What a fine example for us. What do you do at night when you can't sleep? When you're agitated, when you're concerned, when you're worried, when you're anxious, when thoughts are just overwhelming your heart and mind. Well, we ought to follow the Apostle Paul's example, and we ought to pray. We ought to pray and thank God for those people in our lives that are so precious and so meaningful to us, and who have been such a help and a source of our well-being. Paul shares with Timothy that Paul remembers Timothy's tearful goodbye In 2 Timothy 1.4, he says, as I remember your tears, I remember your tears, probably offered at the saying of goodbye. Their separation had been emotionally hard. Most likely, Paul and Timothy could see the handwriting on the wall and know that difficult days were in store for the Apostle Paul. Timothy may have thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. Or it could just have been a realization that here are two people that so enjoy their company and now we are gonna be separated for an extended period of time. I think many of you this morning can relate to tearful goodbyes. We've just experienced children going off to college or the military, loved ones who are moving away, Leaving a loved one in a difficult situation can bring tears, such as being in a hospital room and having to say goodnight and concerned about that loved one and how they're going to go through the night and what they may experience the next day. Tearful goodbyes are commonplace. And Timothy's tears endeared Timothy to Paul. For it tells us in verse 4, That as I remember your tears, I long to see you. I long to see you. Paul desperately wanted to see the, the young Timothy. He sorely missed Timothy. The implication is that Paul is not only praying to give thanks for Timothy, but also praying that Timothy would come to him soon. Twice in this letter, Paul urges Timothy to come to see him. First in Chapter 4, verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. And then again in chapter 4, verse 21, do your best to come before winter. But he does more than merely urge Timothy to come. Paul makes it a matter of prayer. For there is much that is beyond our control. There is much that we, we can't have power over. In this instance, Paul's sentencing sickness, dangers of all kinds, you name it. So what does Paul do as he anticipates the coming of Timothy? answer, he prays, he prays. It tells us that Paul would be filled with joy at seeing Timothy at the end of verse four. That I may be filled with joy. That's why Paul primarily wants to see Timothy. He also wants to instruct him and help him. And, and there are other motivating factors to be sure. Life is complex. But on Paul's heart and mind at this instant is that he longs to see him, that his joy may be full, that his outlook can change. Oftentimes we comfort ourselves in the midst of our longing for others by reflecting upon when we will see them again. Maybe we've had some tearful goodbyes, as I just said. And in those tearful goodbyes, now maybe you're looking forward to Thanksgiving or Christmas when they are going to return and you're going to be reunited with that precious someone. Maybe you have a loved one that went off to college, or the military, or the mission field. And so you look forward to the break, or the leave, or the furlough. That time in which you're going to see them again. We are told in the scriptures that we are even comforted when death separates us from those whom we love when we think of our being reunited with them again in first thessalonians chapter 4 it says comfort one another with these words what is that comfort what are those words it is that we are going to be together once again with our loved ones that when the lord jesus christ returns then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, referring to Jesus and those that bring with him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And so we are told that the comfort that we have is we're going to see our loved ones again if they know the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, 19, Paul writes this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Is it not you? What is our rejoicing at the Lord's coming? Now, it's not just about our loved ones. It's not just about being reunited with them, but it's an important part. And Paul says that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, you are our joy. Think about it. If part of heaven's joys is being reunited with our loved ones, how much more on this fallen earth ought it bring joy to our hearts and minds to be reunited with our loved ones? And so it is. And so Paul conveys to Timothy, I long to see you, I long to see you, that my joy may be fulfilled. Paul shares with Timothy that Paul remembers Timothy's genuine faith now he begins to tell Timothy what it is that he, why Timothy is so precious to him. And it's because of Timothy's genuine faith. Verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Sincere faith means without hypocrisy. Genuine, not a cheap look-alike, or imitation or knockoff, but the real deal, the real deal. Timothy's faith is genuine. And that is what brought such joy and delight to Paul. That Timothy's faith is real. Paul is convinced that Timothy's faith is real, genuine, sincere. Notice at the end of verse 5, at the very end it says, I am sure dwells in you as well. He's talking about the sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice. And now, I'm sure, I'm convinced that that very same faith you possess. That very same faith. This was to be an encouragement to Timothy. Timothy was to continue in the faith of his mother, grandmother, and the apostle Paul. If you just look over at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving, being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Okay? You have learned it, you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So that from a child he had heard these scriptures. Paul says... Remember who you heard these things from, your mother, your grandmother, me. Reflect upon our lives. Realize how we have lived. Recognize the sincerity of our faith, even as we see the sincerity of your faith. But there's a a subtle, important difference in verse 5 from what is said in verses 3 and 4. And I'd like to point that out to you. And the ESV does a great job of translating it this way. Verse 3, Paul uses the word, I remember. In verse 4, he uses the word, again, I remember. But in verse 5, it changes to, I am reminded. I am reminded. There's a difference between remembering and being reminded. The idea of being reminded is that there's an outside catalyst There is a circumstance or an event or a happening or something from without that brings recall, okay? So you may be reminded by a wake-up call. You may be reminded by someone telling you don't forget to go to the grocery store. You may be reminded by making yourself a note so that you will see it and it will bring to your remembrance something that uh, you need to do. So a reminder comes from an outside catalyst. So there is something from the outside that reminds Timothy excuse me, that reminds Paul of Timothy's sincere faith. Now what that catalyst is is not told to us explicitly in the text. But I believe it is told it to us implicitly that it isn't hard to deduce what is the outward circumstance that Paul is reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. And that outward circumstance is the insincere faith, the ingenuine faith, the not real deal faith that he has encountered time and time again. For he writes about it repeatedly in 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.15, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. You know about these men who abandoned me. In 2 Timothy 3.16-18, through 18, Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Here are these false teachers that have not demonstrated the real faith. Paul later, in 2 Timothy 3, 6 and following, warns Timothy about deceivers and those that are not sincere in their faith, starting in 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 8. For among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as John Ace and John Brees opposed Moses, so these also men opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and now this disqualified regarding their faith. Paul is surrounded by professing people who are faithless. Professing people who have turned their back upon Paul and upon God. And as he reflects upon these people that have abandoned him, and I went into this in great detail two weeks ago, as we looked at the emotional circumstance of the Apostle Paul, as people are fleeing from him left and right and proving to be unfaithful, Paul is reminded, not everybody is like this. Not everybody has abandoned me. Not everyone is faithless. Not everyone turns back. There's Timothy. There's Timothy. He's a rock. He's my beloved child. I thank God for him. I'm grateful that he's in my life. I'm grateful I can turn this work over to him. I am convinced that his faith is genuine. That it's real. And so he gives thanks to God. Paul does not let the failure of others. Disillusion him. From trust in God. Or confidence in others. What a tremendous lesson for us to learn there. Many, many times people disappoint us. Unfortunately, we can... Point out, we all probably know people in our own lives. We certainly know it from the news. People that profess faith, spiritual leaders who turn their back on their faith, who walk away from the truth, who engage in all kinds of sinful misconduct, and it's easy to grow cynical. It's easy to get to the place and say, wow, you know, these Christians are nothing but hypocrites. Everywhere you turn, you see people that are unfaithful. It's easy to grow bitter. It's easy to grow angry. It's easy to grow hurt, disillusioned, despondent. Wonder if all that I have worked for matters. Here is, Timothy, here is Paul who is in prison for sharing the gospel. And everyone has abandoned him. Have I given my life for naught? Then he's reminded. There's Timothy. There's Timothy. It's so important that we keep in mind in all the times of disillusionment, in all the times that people fail us, that there are those who don't fail us. There are those Christian leaders Who are faithful to the day that they die. There are those individuals whose faith is genuine and is real. Who continue to teach the truth. And continue to live lives that bring honor and glory to God. What a comfort that is. In the midst of our angst and sorrow and misery. Paul then reminds Timothy of something that Timothy needs to keep in mind. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you, because your faith is sincere. Not because he's doubting his faith, but because Paul is convinced of his faith. Paul says, for this reason I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul reminds Timothy of a different time than which they had from the time in which they said goodbye. Paul reminds them of the very first time that Paul entrusted Timothy with the great ministry responsibilities. Notice at the end of verse 6, it says, Which is in you through the laying on of my hands. This gift that he's talking about that is in Paul, that is in uh, Timothy by the laying on of his hands, uh, is not spelled out here. But if you notice in verse 6, it says, I remind you. So he's speaking about something that already occurred. He's speaking about something that's already in the past. He's speaking about something that that Timothy's already been through. And so we know what that is, for it's revealed to us in 1 Timothy. So if you keep your finger here and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Uh, Excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 4. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 14 it says, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Now it's talking about here about the elders laying their hands on him. Paul is talking about when he laid his hands on him. It's the same event. Okay, You put it together, Paul and the elders laid their hands on Timothy. That's a common that's a common situation when we ordain elders in the church. Myself, the other pastors, and the other elders lay their hands on the individual. The gift, then, is that of preaching and teaching. It's the responsibility that, Paul, that Timothy has to carry on the work of the Apostle Paul. So he tells them to fan this gift into flame. There are two very helpful word pictures here as to what Timothy is supposed to do. The first is found in 2 Timothy 1.6. Keep your finger here because we're going to go back and forth. In 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason I mind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame. Think about this word picture. Picture a fire that is dying out. Maybe you have a a fire in the fireplace, or you go camping, and you've started a a nice little fire, and you may have roasted some hot dogs and things, and after a time, that fire begins to dwindle. The flame isn't quite as high, and it continues to go down and down, and it gets to the place where there's just a, a few embers that are glowing, but no flames. What do you do? You blow on it. If you get down on your hands and knees and you blow, or if you have a a fireplace and you have a billows, if you put air on it, all of a sudden those embers burst into flame. Paul says, Fan the flame. Okay? Don't let the ember go out. Don't let your commitment wane. For not only is Paul going through difficulty, but Timothy is, and Timothy's hearing about these difficulties. We're going to look at next week where Paul says, Don't be ashamed. Of me or my chains, okay? Timothy's growing fearful. He's saying to Timothy, don't let the fire go out. Fan into flame these coals. The second word picture is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Turn there because we're going to stay there for a while. In 2 Timothy, excuse me, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. He says this, do not neglect the gift that you have. Neglect. Let's go back to the campfire illustration. Okay, uh, You build the campfire. Well, you just don't pay attention to it. You don't add any wood to it. You don't stir it. You just let it alone. Well, if you don't care for it, if you don't add wood to it, if you don't... Stir it every now and again, eventually the flame goes out. Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the campfire. Don't neglect the gift. Okay, You've got to add wood to it. You've got to stir it up. You've got to maintain this faith. Even though it's genuine, even though it's real, don't take it for granted. Develop it. Mature it and use it for the gospel. Well, how does one go about fanning the spiritual flame? How does one go about stirring that spiritual campfire? Well, our passage in 2 Timothy doesn't tell us because Paul is reminding him. It's found in 1 Timothy. Look at verse 11. 1 Timothy 4.11 command and teach these things this is the gift here's the preaching responsibility you need to command and teach these things let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech in conduct in love in faith in purity all right so you need to teach and you need to live consistently verse 13 until i come devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation To teaching. That's your gift. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. That's the gift you have. That's the responsibility. That's the duty. Don't neglect it. Now comes the practical applications. How does he do that? How does he not neglect? Number one, verse 15, practice these things. Practice these things. The word for practice is what we would normally think of when we think of the word to be diligent, to practice, cultivate, develop, take pains with. When you think of practicing the piano, to go over and over and over again. Paul is saying you need to practice these things. You need to habitually go over them time and time again again. Secondly, verse 15, immerse yourself in them. The them is the scriptures. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Immerse is an interesting term. Immerse yourself in them. There is a a phrase that's being used in missions more and more that's being talked about in terms of immersing people in the culture. In the old days, when a person went to the mission field, before they went to the mission school, they often went to language school. And they would spend one year, two years, sometimes as much as three or four years in just learning their language in a language school. Well, missions, has taken on a different approach in most areas of the world today. And rather than just remove people and putting them in an isolated existence where they're learning a language in a classroom setting, instead they are immersing the missionary in the culture. They are putting the missionary right smack in the midst of the people to whom they are going to minister and they learn the language cold turkey. They sit there and they begin to try to communicate and they begin to learn the language by being immersed in it, by hearing it all around them, by having to survive by learning this language. That's the picture here. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. Live in the scriptures. Give yourself to the word of God so that you are gonna be strengthened. You you ignite this fire by immersing yourself in the scriptures. Immerse yourself to the degree that others can see your growth and progress. Notice verse 15, the end. I'm in 1 Timothy 4, 4, 415. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. All may see your progress. A missionary, if they immerse themselves in the culture and give themselves totally to it, others can see their progress. It becomes evident. They become much more fluent in the language. When Once they couldn't speak it at all, now they're becoming pretty, pretty fluent. Now they're able to converse. Now they're able to talk with others. And their progress can be seen by all. In a similar fashion, Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, give yourself to the scriptures. I can't go through the whole book. But earlier Paul had said, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example unto them. Okay? Let everyone see your progress. You're a young man, but let them see your progress. Let them see that immersing yourself in the scriptures, that now you are becoming Fluent in the Word of God. Now you can teach with authority. Now you can explain the great doctrines of the Word of God. Timothy, don't tell people that you read the Scriptures. Don't tell people you study the Scriptures. Study and read in such a way that it's obvious. That it's apparent. Here is a person who has given themselves to the Word of God. Timothy, I need not only be convinced of your faith, but others need to be convinced of your faith too. So, immerse yourself in these things. And what will be the end result? Well, uh, excuse me, there's another thing he's supposed to do. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. So he's supposed to be on guard for his personal conduct and the things that he teaches. They go hand in hand all throughout First and Second Timothy, Uh, false teaching leads to corrupt lifestyle, and uh, Paul points out repeatedly in Second Timothy about these, these corrupt individuals. They're teaching falsely, they're living lives that reflect that falsehood. Conversely, if you teach the truth and you live the truth, that is genuine faith. Paul says, keep a close watch. Persist in this, verse 16 of 1 Timothy 4, 16. And the result will be that you will save both yourself and your hearers. The the saving here is not in the soteriological sense. He's not saying that by this you earn your salvation or you earn the salvation of others. He's saying to Timothy, by this you are preserving your godliness. By this you are going to be delivered from Inconsistency. You're going to be delivered from Demas who fell in love with the things of this world. Where did Demas go wrong? Where do spiritual leaders go wrong? Why do people fail who profess faith in Christ if their faith is indeed genuine? Answer, because they fail to immerse themselves. They fail to watch over their lives. They fail to be on guard. We're to be on guard in both what we believe and what we practice. What we say and how we live. Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. Paul can see the genuineness of Timothy's faith. The progress and growth is evident. It is for that very reason that Paul gives thanks and now encourages him to continue on in the way that he's been going. What an encouragement we can be to others by simply acknowledging that we see spiritual growth and progress in their lives. When's the last time you walked up to a brother and sister in Christ and said, you know, I I, I just have to tell you. I just have to tell you. I really appreciate the spiritual growth I see in your life. I've just noticed. Listening to your prayers, I'm not trying to critique your prayers, but I've, I've just noticed the sincerity, the heartfeltness. Sat under your teaching. I can see you give a lot of time to the study of the word of God. Thank you for the time that you give. When's the last time you walked up to someone and said, you know, take this the right way, but I know you used to really struggle with your temper, and I just haven't seen that lately. I mean that's great. The Lord has really given you a a measure of growth and grace in that area. When's the last time that you just stopped and thank God for the spiritual progress that you see in the lives of others? I'll point out one. Pastor Cruz, stand up. When did you start coming to this church? Since you were born, all right? He's been through your Sunday school classes, he's been through the youth fellowship. You have poured your life into this young man. And we can all see the growth in his life. We can all see the development, can we not? In character, in knowledge. And maturity, Thank like, you can sit down. <laughs> I can pick on him. <clears throat> At least I did. Uh, I could go through it and I could pick out others. I could pick out many. You know, when you start feeling down, you start questioning your faith. You start questioning your commitment, stop and think about people that God has raised up. People that are growing and developing and maturing. Anytime you think that, is it worthwhile? Stop and reflect. Don't let the negativity overcome the truth and the value of faithful servant to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is reminded. And he gives thanks. Conclusion, quickly. We ought to thank God for those precious memories and those people that are in our lives. We ought to communicate to them how important they are and how we see that spiritual development in their lives. We're to learn from the Apostle Paul practical ways to derive comfort from our God. When things are going poorly, when we are finding ourselves in difficult circumstances, maybe even facing death, to remember the blessings, to remember the goodness of God, to be reminded of the things that he has already done. We should not be disillusioned by the faithlessness of others, but rather we should look to the faithfulness of many and realize that while there are people that are insincere there are people that are very sincere and the spirit of god is able to give strength and help and of course timothy excuse me paul is going to be the supreme example paul is going to say to timothy look at me not in a proud way but timothy as you look around and you see people that aren't being faithful Timothy, look at me, he says in chapter 3. My persecutions, my sufferings, you are well aware of what I've gone through. But by the grace of God, I'm standing firm. And it's not me. It's the grace of God. Be strengthened by looking at those who are the good example that they set for the rest of us. The admonition is fan the flame, fan the flame. This morning, if you are walking with the Lord, if you are standing strong, I rejoice with you, but don't take it for granted. Don't think that we can't succumb to temptation. Don't think that we can't get discouraged. Don't think that we can't get to the place where we give up. Don't think that we can neglect our spiritual well-being and won't have an effect. Stir the flame. Stir the flame. Fan the flame. Keep the campfire burning. By practicing these things. By doing what the word of God tells us to do. By immersing ourselves in the scriptures. By taking careful thought about what we believe and what we do. And God will be praised. And our profiting will appear to all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your truth, we thank you for your people, and we thank you, O God, while there are many negative examples that we could look to, there are those positive examples of which we can see your spirit at work. We can see how you take lives, and you grow, and you mature, and you develop individuals. We thank you, O Lord, that we see people who stand strong. There are people that have gone through suffering, physical suffering, emotional suffering, spiritual suffering. There are people that have agonized in pain who today are bearing witness to your grace and your goodness in their lives. There are people in this congregation that we can look to and say, yes, we can see the sincerity of their faith. We can see the consistency in their lives. We can see the development of their growth. We have profited from their presence. Oh, Lord, thank you for such people. Renew us and refresh us. Give us holy memories. And I pray for those individuals that are not able to be with their loved ones for whatever the reason may be. Oh, Lord, may those memories be precious. May they pray for their loved ones. May they look forward to the time in which they are going to see them again. May you allow them to have rest at night and to sleep. May they pray for them. May they bring them before your, your throne and may they give you thanks for their influence in their lives. And yes, for those that even know the, the separation of death, that they are not going to see them again in this life. Oh, Lord, Instill with them the hope and the confidence and the comfort that one day they will be with their loved one again in your presence. Oh Lord, may it fill an aching heart with joy. Renew us in our faith, we pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.